very interesting story about a man named Caleb Bradham. Anybody ever heard of Caleb Bradham? Bradham, however you want to say it. Well, you may not have. He's from the 1890s. Uh, Caleb Bradham, Mr. Bradham, we'll just call him Bradham, uh, he had been a school teacher, but he quit to open a drugstore and uh, be a pharmacist there in his town. Uh, but during those times, uh, that particular time period, the drugstores also had, you know, a soda shop built into the drugstores, a soda fountain there. And uh, in his spare time, Mr. Bradham liked to fiddle around a little bit with his soda recipes, uh, the vast majority of which were awful. Uh, but one day he was, he was working in there, and he came up with this concoction that had cola nut extract, some vanilla, and what he called uh, rare oils. He didn't write down specifically what they were at the time, but that's what he called it. And he put this all together. But what's interesting about that is he didn't take a drink to test it. He called his assistant in uh, to test what he had made. Maybe he t tasted too much of his own drinks to, to, to uh, want to do it himself. But his assistant drank it and loved it. And so Bradham took a drink and he liked it. And so he started to sell this thing in his soda shop, in his drugstore. Uh, but he called it Brad's Drink. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but if I walk into a shop and they have a drink called Brad's Drink, I don't know if I'm going to order it. <laughs> Uh, it gives me the idea of some, Brad left his cup on the table and is, they're just selling it and I don't want to drink that. But he sold it as Brad's drink and it went pretty well. People liked it, but he discovered over time that because of the name, not many people would order it. And so a few years later, he started a company centered around marketing and selling this Brad's drink, but he renamed the drink and started selling it, and it sold like crazy. And he called it Pepsi. And Pepsi went on, Brad's drink, to do phenomenal business. All starting there from the beginning, from Caleb Bradham selling this thing out of his drugstore. You see, a name has power. A name is a label that defines the characteristics of something and helps us really picture what that thing is. Names are very important, which is what we're going to see today uh, in, uh, as we look at uh, the book of Genesis and a couple of guys and their names. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25, it'll be on the screens or if you want to use one of the Bibles on the pew racks there, uh, it's on page 19, uh, you can find it. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can take that Bible home, you can keep it. Don't worry about it. Nobody's going to stop you walking out because you got one of the sanctuary Bibles. It's your Bible, uh, okay? We've got others. We can replace that, but we want everybody to have a Bible. Everybody should have a Bible. Uh, so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 25, and as we get going here, just a little background info. Uh, there was a man named Abraham who God came to and blessed him, and Abraham had great faith and followed the Lord, um, and he, he, did, he still messed up and did some stuff he shouldn't have been doing, and uh, but God was still walking with him. God was still blessing. And, uh, but the thing about Abraham is he didn't have any kids. And God said, you're going to have kids. And he ended up having a son named Isaac when he was 100 years old. Imagine not having any children and then getting, having a son when you're 100 years old. Uh, his wife was 90 also. And they have this son, his name's Isaac. Uh, and they raise him up. And then Isaac gets 
uh, married, but he has the same issue that his parents did, and they, his, Isaac and his wife were not able to have kids. Look at Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So Isaac begins to pray. Now, we don't know how much time transpired between when he started praying and when they actually got pregnant. Uh, but the idea is it's a little bit of time. And so he's praying on a consistent basis that they would have a child. And his wife gets pregnant. Verse 22. And the children, this is great. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? Have you ever, moms in the room, have you ever thought that when thinking about your kids? <laughs> why is this happening to me? Uh, but she's pregnant. And, and we see there, it says the children. So she's got more than one child within her. And it says they're fighting constantly inside. Now, we know that brothers and sisters tend to fight sometimes, you know, out here in the world. But when they're in the womb, it, she says it's like a wrestling match type of deal. And it's just constantly going at each other. She says, why is this happening to me? And so she went to inquire of the Lord, verse 23. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. The older, so this is, she finds out she's pregnant with twins. She's got two babies in her, twins. Uh, and they're going to, nations are going to come from these two babies. They're going to have so many descendants that they'll be able to uh, be uh, entire nations. Verse 24. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Now Esau sounds like the Hebrew word for red. So he's, he's red, he's all kinds of hairy. So they call him Esau. But Jake, uh, uh, or look at the next baby, verse 26. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Was, his hand was holding his brother's heel. Jacob was holding his brother's heel. Jacob means heel grabber, but that was a term that meant uh, liar, deceiver, cheater. So even though he was grabbing his brother's heel, this action that took place on the day he was born, they give him this name that means liar, cheater, deceiver. And so now Jacob has to walk around with this name for the rest of his life in their language. Every time he hears his name, hey, cheater, hey, liar, come here, hey, deceiver. And think about Jacob is this thing about the way it works with a lot of us is when somebody gives us a label or, or calls us something, a lot of times we live up to that thing that they're calling us because it becomes baked into our identity. And so Mr. Liar, Cheater, Deceiver, he lived up to his name. He cheated his brother. He deceived his father in addition to other relations later on. But living up to his name, this is, it became a part of his nature. It became a part of his character, this thing that he was called, liar, cheater, deceiver. It became who he was. Now, something happened some years later. Um, Jacob, time passes, 
Uh, he marries, uh, he actually marries a couple, several times, um, and he ends up having 11 children, where we're going to look at. Now, he, he has some more, but what we're going to look at now, he's got 11 sons. And as time has transpired, having these 11 sons, so it's been a significant amount of time, uh, he's about to encounter his brother again. And he hasn't seen his brother since he cheated him. Since he, he stole his birthright and his blessing, which was a huge thing in that day and age. And he gets word from some scouts, because he's become pretty wealthy, some guys who would go ahead of his group as they traveled around. And they say, your brother's coming, and he's got an army with him of several hundred people. And so Jacob gets scared, Mr. Liar, Cheater, Deceiver. I mean, he, he gets in a room with, with one guy, maybe he can talk his way out of it because he's a, he's a liar, he's a deceiver. But when one of those guys that he's cheated is coming with an army, he doesn't know how to do that. I mean, he's got some guys with him, but the people he's got with him are his kids, his wives, and his shepherds that take care of his flock. So he doesn't have an army. And so Jacob is nervous. And so I want you to look at what he does. This is Genesis 32, so flip over a few pages. Genesis 32, uh, starting down in verse 22. That same night, he arose. This is Jacob. He took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had, and Jacob was left alone. So look, this is inconceivable to many of us. But this is how his mind is operating because everything he's done with his cheating, his lying, his deceiving is self-preservation to elevate himself. So he takes his wives, his servants, he takes his, his kids and he puts them between himself and Esau, the guy with the army. He puts them on one side. So Esau's way over there. He's got his family right there in, in between him and Esau. And then he goes back across the river. So he's got his family, he's got his kids, he's got the river, and then he's over here by himself. And the army's coming. He, he's thinking the army's going to come to kill him. And so he puts them all out there as, as, you know, like a shield to himself. This is who Jacob is. This is his nature. This is his character. He's been called this name his whole life, and it's become who he is, so much so that he's willing to sacrifice his, his family, their very lives, to take care of himself and what he wants, and self-preservation. And he's over there on this side of the river by himself, or so he thinks. Verse 24, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the break of the day. Now, we don't know where this man came from. Well, we'll find out in a minute. But Jacob thinks he's alone over there, and then all of a sudden this guy comes out of nowhere, and we don't know how the encounter started either. But if Jacob's over there alone thinking that he's alone and he's afraid, he's paranoid about the situation and he hears some rustling, he's going to pounce on whatever that is for fear of his life and they wrestle all night, they're fighting. I mean, this is a physical fight and I don't know if you've ever been in a fight but it's, I mean, this is, or maybe you've even just watched them on TV, let's just say, uh, an exhausting type of deal for even a few minutes but they're going all night long because Jacob is afraid for his life. And he's fighting this guy all night long. Uh, verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the hip socket 
And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So something, there's something unique here. When you're in a fight, you're not going to ask the other guy to bless you. Please just bless me. I mean, I would imagine that's not what's going to cross your mind. Uh, probably some kind of cursing. Uh, but he says, so Jacob understands that th- this is not a normal man. Bless me, he says. Look at what the man says, verse 27. He says to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Now, I want you to look at the next verse, and then we're going to come back to that verse 27. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So this man identifies himself as God here, which is very interesting. Very smart Bible scholar guys will say that every time you see a physical representation of God in Scripture, like uh, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace, and there was a fourth man there with them, and he had the appearance of God. Every time you see an appearance of God in the Bible, what these really smart Bible scholars will say is that is Jesus. Jesus, they, I mean, a huge Bible word, a theophany, you know, before Jesus came um, as a baby with Mary, appearing in the Old Testament uh, as appearance of God there, that they will say this is God, and I tend to agree with them in this moment, that Jesus is wrestling with this man, with Jacob. And Jacob asks to be blessed, but before he, he issues a blessing, he wants Jacob to identify himself. I mean, obviously, if this man is God, this man is Jesus, he knows who he is, but he wants to hear it from his mouth. Who are you? And he says, well, I'm Jacob, liar, cheater, deceiver. And we can, we can see by asking, Jacob asking God to bless him, asking Jesus to bless him, he knows who he is. Jacob knows who he is. And we're going to see in a minute his recognition of that. He knows who he is. And so he can't help but say, well, my name is Jacob. Liar, cheater, deceiver. That's who I am. That's who I've been known as. That, 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 that's how I've lived my life. Obviously, you can tell I put my family over there, my kids over there, so they would be killed and I would not. This is who I am. You see, Jacob giving this name to God and saying, this is who I am. He was saying, this is how people see me. This is what I've been called all my life. And that's all that I know is what people call me. That's all I know is what people see me as. That's all, that's all that I've been able to do is what people have called me by this name. I, I developed this nature. I developed this character. I developed this pattern of life because of this label that was put on me. And what we just read in verse 28, God's going to change his name because God wanted Jacob's nature to be different, his character to be different. And if his pattern of life was going to be different, there had to be a change within Jacob. He had to have an encounter that would change him. And as a representation of that, God was going to change his name. Say, you're no longer going to be Jacob. You're no longer going to be called liar, deceiver, cheater. That's gone. That's past. It's over. So he gives him the name, verse 28, Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. 
And as best we can tell, that name Israel, there's lots of discussion about what specifically that means. If you ever see a name in Hebrew, like there, look at that Israel that ends in E-L, that means that's God. That's a, short, that's a, a shortened form of the name for God. Uh, and so what best we can tell, what that means is God fights with great perseverance. And he says, you have striven with God, you have fought with God, you have fought with man, and you have prevailed. But it's that phrase that, it's, it's odd, Right? You have fought with God, you have fought with men, and you have prevailed. How do you prevail against God? I mean, obviously, I mean, you, you read the story of Jacob up until now. He's prevailed against men. I mean, he, in lying and cheating and deceiving, he, he's beat them at every point he had. I mean, that's, that's how he was able to do what he did. That's how he got as wealthy as he did. He, he did all these things, and he got to where he was by lying and cheating and deceiving and prevailed against men. But how does he prevail against God? I mean, obviously in the fight, he didn't win the fight. I mean, God wins the fight, this all-night fight. And honestly, if you look at it, it says that God struck his hip and he popped out a joint. God could have won the fight at any point. Jacob didn't have the upper hand. God always had the trump card. They get, the morning breaks, and God's wrestling, and just touches him, and a hip pops out, fight over, it's done. Jacob's over there panting and collapsing, and God's just standing there, like, okay, fine. God could have won the fight at any time. Obviously, Jacob didn't prevail in this fight. He persevered, but he didn't prevail. So what is he talking about? Well, look at the next two verses, verse 29. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Now notice, God doesn't give him his name. He knows, Jacob knows, obviously. And look at, because of, look at what Jacob says. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So he knows this is God. And honestly, in that phrase, my life has been delivered, uh, saved. This, I have been saved by God. He acknowledges that he was under God's mercy the entire time. That God had great mercy in, in granting him to be alive at the end of the night after this fight. So when, when God said, I'm going to name you Israel because you fought with men and you fought with God and you have prevailed, there must be something else he's referring to because Jacob didn't prevail in this fight. Well, you know, the name change, again, signifies a change of his nature, a change of his character, a change of his pattern of life, where he had been a liar, a cheater, a deceiver. So it seems to imply that his former pattern of life was not in the direction God wanted him to go. His former pattern of life was not defined by what God would have for him. But if his life was going to be different from this point forward, if his nature was going to be different, if his character was going to be different, his pattern of life was going to be different, he was going to have to stop fighting against God. See, that's what was happening. Up until now, he knew what was right, but he fought against God, and he did not allow God to have his way in his life. He fought against God, and he prevailed because he did what he wanted the whole time. So his, his prevailing against God wasn't necessarily because he was stronger than God, or obviously in the fight, because God won the fight. His prevailing against God was in the direction of his own life. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever known God wanting you to do something specifically and you did the opposite? If you ever sinned, then that's a yes. But that's what we're talking about here. And so God says, things have got to change. 
Jacob, you're not going to be called Jacob anymore. You're going to be called Israel because you're not going to fight with me anymore. I'm going to fight for you from here on out. God fights with great perseverance. I'm changing your name. He was going to have to give God his life so that he could get a new one. You see, that's the thing, is that God has given us a life in order for us to give it back to him so that he can give us a new life. He grants us a life to begin with so that we can give it to him. And in giving it to him, he can give us a whole new one. And at this point, God says, okay, Jacob, it's time to stop fighting me. It's time to stop lying and cheating and deceiving. And so people are going to stop calling you liar, cheater, deceiver. That's over. It's not going to happen anymore. From this point forward, your name's going to be Israel. And everybody who comes from you are going to be called Israelites because they came from Israel. Because God fights for them. So God gave you life so that you can give your life back to him. So that he can give you a new one. A new nature. A new character. A new pattern of life. And proof of Israel's change. The man, he's not Jacob anymore, he's Israel. The proof of his change we're going to see here is in how he treats his son who faces the exact same situation he did. So flip over another couple pages. Genesis 35. So Rachel, Israel's wife, favorite wife, she had prayed back in Genesis 30 for another son. She had one son and the second that son was born she, she began to pray that God would give her another one. And the Lord answered that prayer with a yes, but the circumstance with that yes was not exactly what she anticipated. It didn't look like how she thought it was going to look. And so she attempts to name her son, the, the yes from her prayer, depending entirely upon how she felt rather than what God did. Has God ever given you a yes to a prayer, but it wasn't? exactly how you saw it going in your head and have don't again don't raise your hand but did, did you then get frustrated with God as it's almost as though and I've done this too it's almost as though I think I know better than God right okay God I want you, give me like we pray God give me this and it needs to come with these 13 stipulations in order for it to be exactly like what I'm praying for it. God, so God, here's a, it's like we're, we're asking God to sign a contract. God, here's the contract, and, and so put your God name there, and, and then I will get exactly what I want. Rather than praying as Jesus did in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. And so Rachel prays for another son. It com the son comes, and the circumstance is tragic honestly, from our perspective. Verse 16 of Genesis 35. Then they journeyed from Bethel when they were still some distance from Ephrath. Rachel went into labor and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear for you have another son. Now this language is important. You have another son. Because that's the exact wording she used in her prayer back in Genesis 30. 
ex- I mean, the, the phrasing is exact. God, give me another son. And so what I believe is this midwife, this, this, this person who's there, was around during the period of time that Rachel had been praying for another son. And so the midwife is saying, God's answering your prayer right now. Don't fear. Don't, don't, don't worry. God's saying yes. And I, it, it, he, he's giving you what you asked for. But Rachel knew something wasn't how she thought it was going to go because she was dying. Verse 18. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, son of my sorrow. Son of my sorrow. How would you like to walk around for the rest of your life with that name? With the knowledge that your mother gave it to you because she died. And so every time somebody says your name, it's a remembrance of that moment. Now Jake, uh, or Israel is standing right there and he hears this. And she says, his name is to be Benoni, son of my sorrow. Jacob says, no. He knows. They called him Jacob and he had to walk around with that name for decades. He says, we're not putting that label on him. I know what that's like. Remember, Jacob's changed now. Jacob, who wanted to sacrifice his family, is not the same man. As he said to God, this was a moment of his deliverance, a moment of his salvation, and he's not the same because of his encounter with God. And he says, we are not doing that. And he finally stands up for what's right. The rest of that, verse 18. But his father called him Benjamin, son of my right hand, which is a name of honor. It's a name of authority. It's a name of power. The right hand was where the power was. The right hand was where the honor was. He says, this is the son of my right hand. He's not the son of my sorrow. And you've got to know, Israel was suffering sorrow in that moment. His wife was dying. He was going through great pain and grief. But he's not going to name his son out of that pain and grief. He's going to name it out of where God has brought him. And says, I'm not putting this on him. We're not putting this label on him. We're not putting this name on him. I've had an encounter with the Lord, and I'm different, so we're going to start him out from a better place than I started from. And we're calling him son of my right hand, Benjamin. And that was his name from that point forward. Nobody called him Benoni, ever. It was Benjamin, son of my right hand. Because Israel stood up and said, we're not doing this. He spoke honor over his son. In reality, he was prophesying over him. He is the son of my right hand. And, and, and this, this, uh, the child, Benjamin, his relation to the father changed his future. Because his father had been changed, the son's future was not the same. Jacob's future was set out because of what they named him. They named him liar. They named him cheater. They named him deceiver. And so he went on and he did those things. That's not to say everybody with a good name does good things and everybody with a bad name does bad things. That's not it. But Jacob walked around in that and he said, we're not starting him in a deficit here. We're going to start him from a better place. He will be the son of my right hand. And he spoke that over his son. And in reality, what this was, was the son's worth was being called out by the father here. He says that he is too valuable to lay that on him, to lay that pain on him. 
And he spoke that value over him. Similarly, your worth is called out by the Father. Not someone else's observation. Your worth is called out by the Father. Not what somebody else sees, not what somebody else thinks, not what somebody else perceives about you or what you've done or where you've been or what they even think or what they're going through and they lay it on you because they're going through it. Your worth is not called out by them. Your worth is called out by the Father. You know, sometimes, though, divine name changes are necessary to demonstrate true value and the Lord's purpose in you. And the Lord's purpose in you is far greater than what somebody else says. It's far greater than what somebody else sees because somebody else doesn't see everything. You know, in the book of Revelation, it tells us there will be a time that comes when you're given a a white stone from Jesus. And on that white stone will be written a new name for you that nobody knows but you and Jesus. That's his name for you. I I mean, people will probably hear it when he calls you that, but it's him calling out something in you. Not something somebody else sees, it's something that he sees as your creator in you. Like Israel naming his son, son of my right hand. It's Jesus giving you that name. And saying, this is different. It's not a name somebody else says. It's not a label somebody else says. It's not something, a a thought that runs through their mind about who you are because of something they saw years and years ago. Or something that they assumed about you years and years ago. It's about something that, that Jesus sees within you. Your worth is called out by the Father, not someone, not what somebody else places on you. And so you have to ask yourself the question, who has naming rights over you? Who do you allow to name you? Now, people, can, people are going to say what people are going to say. They always are. But who do you allow to have naming rights to you? What do you allow to sink in about what somebody else says? Who has naming rights in your life? For Israel, ultimately it was the Lord. He allowed what somebody else spoke over him to rest on him for decades until he had an encounter with the Lord. You know, there's another story. I mentioned this a few weeks ago uh, at the recovery service, uh, a couple months ago now. But there was another individual who every time her name is mentioned in the Old Testament, she has a title. You know, when the nation of Israel, all of this man, Israel's descendants, when they are going into the promised land, the first city they come to is Jericho. They sent spies into Jericho to see what it was like And these spies trying to escape, they hide out in this one house. Her name was Rahab. And you know the title she had? The prostitute. Flip through the Old Testament and look. Whenever you see Rahab's name, it's Rahab, the prostitute. It's not just Rahab. That was her title. That was her, her, that's how everybody saw her. She's Rahab, the prostitute, because of the life she had, the decisions she had made. That's who she is. And so the spies come, she, they, hide, they hide in her house, and they say, okay, because you have honored the Lord with this, if, if you hang this red cord out of your window, when we attack, when the Lord destroys the city, your house will be left alone. And her house was a part of the wall, and when the wall, of, you know, you ever heard the story, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, the wall collapses, only one part of the wall did not collapse, and that was Rahab's house. Everything was destroyed except Rahab, the prostitute's house. And she's called that over and over and over again until you get to one moment. And I want you to see it. It's it's not going to be on the screen. 
This was, uh, it's going to be in Matthew chapter 1. Describing the lineage of Jesus. Uh, let me find it. Uh, where is she? There she is. Verse 5. Matthew chapter 1. Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Ovid, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. There's no the prostitute there. It's not listed. Because here she is in the line of Jesus. And it's her proximity to Jesus that changes her name. She's not the same anymore. It's not what other, other, other people wrote all this stuff down. Where they call her that over and over and over again. But when it comes to being close to Jesus, this encounter with Jesus changed her name. The same way it changed Jacob's name. The same way it can change you. It changes your nature. It changes your character. It changes your pattern of life. She changed. Rahab ends up falling in love with a guy who's from the Israelites. And they get married. And who his, let's see. Uh, where is she? There she is. So you got son, grandson, great-grandson, David the king. David who fought Goliath. Her great-grandson is the great king David. All because she was changed. Your legacy can change. Your life can change. But who has naming rights over you? Maybe there's something somebody has said years and years ago about you that continues to swim around in your mind and the enemy keeps bringing it up and bringing it up and making you feel guilty and making you feel small and making you feel terrible and the anxiety comes and the pressure comes and the struggle comes because of something somebody else says or something somebody else thinks or maybe it's an assumption you make about what somebody else says or what somebody else thinks or how they perceive you and what you're going through and what you're experiencing but they don't know and you've allowed them to have naming rights in your life. Cut that mess off. The only one who's got naming rights over you is Jesus. Period. That's it. And so all that's got to go away. Who has naming rights over you? Maybe today's a moment you need to change. Say, I'm done being Jacob. I'm done. I need to be Israel. I need to be Israel. I need to have a moment where all that is taken away, all that is washed away, and I'm going to be different from here on. My encounter with the Lord has changed me, and I'm not the same. And what those people are speaking over me, that's done. They're going to keep saying it because they're just people, and people say stuff. But I'm not listening to it anymore. Because there's no more of them holding that over me. And they may even be claiming they're speaking on behalf of God. They're not. And they're in great danger when you say that. You don't want to say you're speaking on behalf of God when you're not. Something's gonna, something not nice is going to be happening. God doesn't like it when people speak in his name and they're not. Who has naming rights in your life? Who, allow, who do you allow to speak over you, to label you, to define who you are? It should only ever always be Jesus. And he loved you so much that he came to this earth, that he created, that's filled with sin. And he came here to this broken planet and he died so all your sins would be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. And he did that for you, for the world. 
knowing full well that the majority of the people here would not believe. But he did it anyway, just to give us an opportunity to find the same deliverance, to find the same salvation that Jacob spoke of on that hill on the other side of the river. Do you need that deliverance today? Maybe it's eternal deliverance. Maybe you need eternal salvation today, and you need to believe in Jesus. Then don't argue with God anymore. Don't, as Jacob did, fight with God anymore about the direction your life needs to go. And say, okay, it's time. This is a line in the sand. This is it. I'm not going back. I need to believe in Jesus today. And then maybe like Charles last week, you need to come and you need to say, okay, I need to believe right here, right now. Let's kneel down on this green carpet and let's get it done. Maybe you need to come and you need to be baptized to show the world you're different and Jesus has a hand in you now. Maybe that'll be your new name moment. Well, you can tell the water's up there. It's in, I can still hear it. Listen, you hear it? It's warm, right, Jared? It's not cold today. It's not hot. It's right in the middle. Goldilocks, it's right there. We can go up there. We can get baptized right this second. Well, in just a second. But we can do it today if you want to get baptized. Let this be your name change moment. Or you want to come. You want to put your life in the church and say, all right, man, I need to join a church. I need to be a part of a church and serve and, 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 and be where God would have me to be. Then you can do that too. Maybe you just need to come and you need to pray. You need to pray for you. Pray for yourself and say, I need help, Jesus. I've allowed so many thoughts and words of other people speaking over me to define who I am and, and, and occupy so much of my mental capacity and my attention span. I need to just clear all that out and allow you to take me where I need to go. Or maybe you need to come and pray for somebody in your life. Well, that's who they are. And they have pulled a Jacob and they're living up to what other people say, what other people do, to the influences that have surrounded them. And they need the Lord to come and wrestle with them all night long and strike their hip, whatever that might be. So whatever your decision you need to make, whether to come and believe in Jesus, come and be baptized, join the church, pray for yourself, pray for someone you know, we all have something we need to do. What are you going to do today? Y'all pray with me. God, I thank you. I thank you that you didn't leave Jacob alone on that other side of the river when he had shoved his family out like a human shield. You said, I'm not going to leave him there. And you intervened. And you changed his name. As Jacob said, you delivered him. You saved him. And gave him a new name. Saying, I will fight for you. With great perseverance. Just follow me. God, I pray that if anyone here in this room or watching online needs to believe in you, that they would do it now. Stop putting it off. Stop wrestling with you like Jacob. That they would say, okay, it's done. It's now's the time. And they would believe. They would come, they would be baptized. They would put their life in the church. They would start following after you. And not the words and influence of so many others. God, help us all to follow you. To not allow 
expectations to speak a name over us but only allow the power and influence of your spirit that guides and directs our steps to have absolute naming rights on our hearts and give us the strength and perseverance to follow after you without hesitation or reservation full force wherever you would have us go God I thank you in your name I pray Amen